0: like to watch some of those um, old movies and mini-series from English literature, Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters, uh, ones like that, and I remember watching one, ran for six hours, about Charles Dickens' novel, Little Dorrit, it was remade a year or two ago, it did something I've never seen before in television or movies. It's a story similar to his other novels about a man and a woman falling in love and so forth. But the first three hours were shown from the man's perspective. And then the next three hours were from Little Dorrit's perspective. And it was very interesting, the thoughts uh, of the man and then the thoughts of the woman that were not spoken we do something like that tonight. We've been looking at the life of David, and we did a couple of lessons on David's sin with Bathsheba and his repentance and the uh, outcome of that. But tonight we're going to look at it from a different perspective—the perspective of Bathsheba. Very few have discussed her. Occasionally preachers mention her in passing, but uh, I've never heard of a book written about her. Um, Although there was a, I think like a Christian movie or something called The Sin of Bathsheba. But who was she? Uh, we're told in chapter 11, verse 3, she's the daughter of Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, 2 Samuel 23, who was one of David's court counselors. First Chronicles 3, 5 it spells her name a little different, which is common in Hebrew back then. So there she's called Bathsheba. Remember, I said she is not to be confused with the queen of Sheba. That was someone completely different. This is Bathsheba. She was much younger than David, who in this incident was middle-aged, and she was very young, probably in her early 20s. And she was married to Uriah the noble soldier. Interesting, what was Uriah's background? He is Uriah the Hittite. He was a Canaanite that converted in And so she married this uh, Gentile convert and it could be considered an interracial marriage but uh, not that distance like other extremes of um, interracial marriages. I did research and found out there were some old Jewish myths and legends about her. But those are the sort of myths and legends the Bible warns about and says I just ignore them like old wives tales. So there's some several lessons tonight that we can learn from her bad example and good example. Remember I've told you when you see a bad example, try to find out what would be the good example that should have been done. If she did this thing wrong, what should she have done? Okay, first uh, heading is Bathsheba's immodesty. Uh, 2 Samuel 11 says she was very beautiful. And there are a number of other Uh, Ladies in the Bible that are singled out for their beauty. The wives of each of the three patriarchs. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Rebecca, the wife of Isaac. And Rachel, one of the wives of uh, Jacob. Then also Vashti and Esther and some other ones. So that was her natural gift. But it was also her weakness. Where there's a strength, there's going to be a weakness. The weakness is, this is what caught David's eye, was her beauty. If she was not at all beauty, David probably wouldn't have given her a second glance. And there's a lesson there. God may give us a strength in preaching, teaching strength, music, uh, sports, whatever, but that can also be your weakness. Be careful. So it says that David saw her one night taking a bath, and that led to the immorality and murder, but... The question is that, as some suggest, she intentionally lured David because where she was was not that far from the palace and maybe she would seen David walking around on top. Maybe, as some suggest, she tried to lure him and uh, laid the trap. After all, Delilah was like that, but I don't think we can say this for sure about her, so let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yet, she is by no means innocent in all this wrongdoing. She should have kept the curtains closed, or she should have looked out and said, you know, could anybody see me? But evidently she didn't. Maybe to give her the benefit of the doubt, she was naive, but she should have been more circumspect and careful. Because uh, when we do something by way of oversight, that might lead to our sin or someone else's sin. And that's what happened here, and that's what happens with sin. A spark can lead to a forest fire. In fact, that's what forest rangers say. An unattended campfire or just a cigarette thrown out the window, and it can blaze up. And so she should have been more careful. She should have drawn the curtains. Clothes are like curtains, worn to be covered, cover us up. So ladies should keep the curtains drawn and dress modestly. We have a handout out there in the lobby on this by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. Um, you wouldn't want to leave your bathroom curtains wide open or even partly open for the neighbors. Well, don't do like Bathsheba. Be modest. 1 Timothy 2.9 uh, commends women for their modesty. Now, let me tell you something that's almost, well, it is humorous. I was doing a Bible study with a preacher years ago, and I was in his office, and I said, you know, um, I don't have my Bible. Let me just borrow this. He says, oh, I've had that Bible all my life. And we came to this verse, and there was a misprint. So we have the verse that says, you know, I would that women wear modest apparel. Well, this said modern apparel. (laughs) And we laughed and said, boy, that's kind of the opposite of what it meant. Well, but there's irony in this because a lot of modern apparel is not modest. Christian women should not follow the world's fashions, but they should go after modesty, decency, propriety, and... um, There's an interesting word, it says shamefacedness, that's an old word for um, modesty, but there's uh, in the Bible, it rebukes some women, it says they they have forgotten how to blush, the old word was hussies, they have no shame. Mothers should teach their daughters about modesty and apparel and their demeanor. Now obviously out of a sense of modesty, I won't go into detail into. Exactly what lured David into this. Um, and what would, where do you draw the line on modesty and just simply attractiveness? But clothes do say something. They send signals. And, and this does not just for the women, but for the men. What do clothes say about us? Immodesty says, I am sexy. And attractiveness says, I am pretty. Look at me. But modesty says, I belong to Jesus. Look at him, not me. And that's true humility. Um, So that's something we could learn. She should have been more modest. Let's move on here. This works both ways. David, um, she not only gave occasion for David's sin, but David drew Bathsheba into this. You see, what's the old thing? It takes two to tango. One person might lay the temptation before someone else, but the other one will jump at that who is to blame. They both are. Remember, Jesus said, don't lure one, even one young person into sin, or you'll be, be like millstone around your neck. Well, got to be careful that anything we say, wear, or do doesn't lay temptation before someone else, and we can't say, Well, that's that person's problem, not mine. Uh, Bathsheba couldn't just say, Well, it's all David's fault. I wonder if there was an older Christian woman back then who would have said, Bathsheba, no. It takes two to tango, honey, and you, you provide the occasion, and then he went further, and, and, and thus and so. You know, I'm certainly no friend of the feminist movement, but early on, they did have a good point. They said, we are not just sex objects. We are persons with human dignity, and I agree, and uh, Bathsheba should have learned this lesson and been more careful. Um. Again, it's wrong, always wrong, to lead another person into sin, even without intending to do that. You might say something in passing, it might stir someone up. Um, I remember talking to someone long ago about about that, and he says, it doesn't bother me, but someone else, it would stir up something from his memory, from his pre-Christian lifestyle, and you say, I don't want to... Lay a stumbling block. By, you know what a stumbling block is, it's mentioned in the Bible. It's obviously like a log that you trip over. It, it literally means something you do or say that leads another person to oops fall into sin. And you might be just naive and say, I didn't mean to do that, but want to be wise on that, not lay any temptation. Remember, David got Uriah drunk. And that was intentionally laying temptation before him. So to give her the benefit of the doubt, she went into this naive, kind of like when um, Eve went into sin naive. But Adam went into it with his eyes wide open and so did David literally with his eyes wide open. Jesus once said, it's inevitable that sin will come, but woe be to the one by whom it comes uh, we should never tempt another person in any area, and this would apply, let's say, to little children that like to get their brother or sister mad. You ever seen kids do that? They know. I see a head shake, and I bet the rest of us say, "Oh yeah, I can remember my brother and my sister doing it, do, doing something to get their younger brother Kurt mad, and they knew just what to say or do to push that button." And, uh, and that's wrong. You're, you're goading a person to lose his temper. And so parents need to see that and say, no, don't do that. Don't say that. You know you're trying to get your brother or sister angry. First Corinthians 8, let's pledge not to put stumbling blocks before others. So there's some lessons from that first point on Bathsheba. That was her immodesty. Second point is Bathsheba's immorality. Immodesty often leads to immorality. Um, one thing leads to another, and it should stop immediately. Uh, read anything that Nancy Lee DeMoss uh, Wogamuth has written. She's uh, written about this, and a very brave, very godly woman. And she says, Remember her illustration. Saying to ladies, if you dress immodestly or if you say something immodest without even realizing it, that's like holding up gasoline and here comes a man with a match. And she paused and said, a match and gasoline? What's going to happen? It's going to be hard to put out the fire. So this is what happened. One thing led to another. So David sent messengers to bring Bathsheba to his room. But again... Bathsheba could have refused, but she didn't. She could not say, Well, he's the king. I can't say no. Or throw me in prison. No, she should have said nothing doing. It. And she couldn't plead ignorance like, Well, he just wants to sit down and have a cup of tea with me. No, she's no fool. And even when she went there and heard David's proposition, she could have said no and she didn't. She could have slapped him in the face. She could have said, what kind of woman do you think I am? Do you think I'm going to sin against God? What about Uriah? She didn't do any of that. She gave in. Perhaps she was unknowingly immodest at first, but now you see how she is sliding down the slippery slope. Immodesty can lead to immorality for men and women. Um... This is a lesson, you know, she didn't say no at the right time. Women need to know how to say no when they're approached by, I don't think they call them anymore, they used to call men were wolves or other such things, they're on the make. Sometimes they want to go after a married woman, a woman, whether she's single or no, needs to know how to say no and mean it. Bathsheba didn't. This happens at work. And again, maybe some of the feminists go overboard with accusations of sexual harassment in the workplace, but there is a lot of that. And on this, we would agree and say, yes, these ladies need to know how to say no and those bosses that are misusing them, they, they need to learn a lesson and to be brought down a notch or two. Learn how to say no means no. And the same thing with men, if a flirtatious woman comes after them, they need to know how to say no, and if the woman doesn't take no for an answer, be like Joseph that ran, literally. I'm getting out of here. So you see, this principle applies to both men and women. Read the book of Proverbs. So it's easy to get drawn into this, like David with Bathsheba, and they were both wrong, although David shares the bulk of the guilt. But um, at some point... Both of them should have said no and repented, but they didn't. It's embarrassed. And the Bible spares us the details, but then after the adultery it says she washed herself, but that wasn't wasn't just another bath, this was a ceremonial washing, such as in Leviticus fifteen eight. But can you see something in this? When a person does certain sins, they feel dirty. I've even seen people do like this. They said, I I felt dirty. And they can wash and take baths and wash their hands. Of course, you remember Lady Macbeth, you know, out, out, foul spot. And she was always washing her hands and it wouldn't work. And there's also others. That's what happened. So here she thinks she can wash it away, but uh, there's no sense of repentance yet. People will feel the guilt, but not do the right thing. Repent. But neither she nor David did for a long time. She, and what does a person do when they delay repentance? They make excuses, and they make an ungodly deal with their conscience. They make excuses. Um, and perhaps they continued on. Maybe they, she said, well, other people have done this. We don't know, but that's what people they do today. So she's doing this washing, according to Leviticus fifteen eighteen, but that's hypocritical, um, because she has not really repented. She has already broken at least one of the Ten Commandments. Um, This would be like someone that commits adultery on Saturday night, goes to church on Sunday, takes communion, and there's no repentance. He's only making it worse, and so she's doing that as well. Why didn't she immediately break it off? Evidently, she enjoyed it. There are people that say, I like a good fling with a... A man like David, he's rich, powerful, famous. You know, they used to call him groupies that hang around rock stars and go to Hollywood. They have people like that everywhere. And so perhaps she thought, he's the hero of Israel. What a catch. But you notice she she didn't tell Uriah. Why? Because she hadn't repented. Uriah is a good example. And he's made to look like a fool by them laughing at him behind his back. But instead of contacting Uriah, she, I hate to say this, she's like resembling the wives that cheat on their husbands that are off at war and they eventually write a Dear John letter. You've heard of that sort of thing. Well, honey, I've missed you, and you know, um, there's a man in the neighborhood, and you know, we've fallen in love, so I filed for divorce. Well, that's kind of like what she's doing. Here's Uriah off at work and she's cheating. How would he have felt if he had found out? What if one of the other soldiers had said, you know, I got word from back in Jerusalem, Uriah, I hate to tell you, buddy, but you're my best friend. Your wife's cheating on you. What if he would have believed? I bet he would have fought back. Not my wife, not Bathsheba. And yet today's society would look at Bathsheba as a good one. Whoa, wow, man, this is this is cool. Look at, and it's glorified on TV and in Uh, Not only country music or rock music and any kind of music, but no, no, Bathsheba is a bad example. Not to be imitated. Next thing is, uh, in the course of time, she finds out out she's pregnant. How do you think she responded? Panic. Uh Uh-oh. And um, you learn from research, it was hard to terminate a pregnancy with abortion back then. So it's like, what do we do? What do we do? And yet there are people today that um, would find themselves in a situation like this. They wouldn't feel any panic or shame. They'd just go have an abortion or something um, or other things. In other words, no shame. But at least he feels some problem here. What's going to happen? What about your right? What if other people find out? I'll be shamed. It was considered shame. Also, remember in all this, this was the time of the law of Moses. What was to be done to adulteresses? Stoning. She would be fearful for her life. Was When she tells David, he probably worried. uh-oh, me too. We're going to be stoned. She was fearful about being found out publicly and afraid of the death penalty. So she goes to David. How do you think he felt when Uriah, uh, Uriah Bathsheba says, David, let's go over here. I'm pregnant, and I know it's you and nobody else. And um, I bet, you know, they both panicked. David so they, 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 they do a deal, let's, let's plan this, you know, to have Uriah killed, and we went into that before. So when David uh, hatched this plan to have Uriah drunk, and then to have him killed, I think Bathsheba was in on this. Which again is, you know, plotting to do evil with someone else. Now I have a quote here if I can find it. Oops, I left it home. A quote from John Calvin, so I'll have to move on. Sorry about that. 2 Samuel eleven four. 4. Now she pretends to mourn for Uriah after he is killed. You want to shout. You know, if this was one of those mini you'd want to throw a shoe at her and say, you hypocrite, you adulteress! you murderous. You're pretending to mourn for this man that you cheated on and you didn't confess it to him and you conspired with David to have a murder. And now you go through this... Pretense of putting on the, you know, the black robe and all, oh, and go to the funeral. Oh, you're right, you're right, and you want to say, well, it's pity her. After all, you know, sure her husband is dead. I heard a story. I don't know if it was a bad joke or a true story about a woman that was arrested for uh, for murdering her husband. She was put on trial and found guilty. And her before the sentencing, the, uh, the, her, her lawyer went to the judge and said, Judge, we throw ourselves at the mercy of the court. After all, she is a widow. She's a murderess. She, she killed her husband. And you're going to say, oh, she's a widow. Have, have mercy on her. Well, that would apply to her. So she mourned for Uriah, but she did not mourn for her sin. And that's what we do when we don't repent. We for ourselves or others, but not for our sin. The Bible talks about mourning for sin. And then to make things still worse, she accepts David's proposal of marriage. What's wrong with that? He already had several wives. The Bible didn't allow that. And so when they got married, I don't know what their exact custom, did she wear a white robe and a veil? I don't know, but there were customs back then. But she went through that pretending she was as lily white as the snow, but God and the angels saw otherwise. You think God blessed that marriage? Mm-mm. There are people that are legitimately married, biblically. They are married in the sight of God and in the sight of the justice of the peace and the judge and so forth. But it's not a blessed marriage. There's a difference. Christian marries a non-Christian. That's an active disobedience it's not going to be blessed. And other ones, bigamists, you already have a wife or a husband. And so God would not bless this marriage and it would all soon catch up on her and David. Okay, here's our third point. Bathsheba's turnaround for repentance. We're not told exactly when and how, but it does appear that she did eventually repent, just like David did. It took months. Remember, the better part of a year until um, Nathan comes. You're the man. David repented. Wrote Psalm 51. Again, we're kind of filling in the blanks here. She, uh, he probably then took the lead and went to Bathsheba and said, "I did wrong. You did wrong, but I'm not blaming you for my sin." And you, you see that in Psalm 51. He wasn't simply blaming her like Adam blamed Eve. Um, perhaps he would have repented earlier Had she, what if she had repented before David did you ever think about that what if instead of a year later two months later she said David I can't sleep with my conscience we committed adultery we had uh, Uriah killed I can't I, I have to repent I wonder how he would have responded then here's a good application for husbands and wives if they have An argument, don't wait for the other one to apologize. You apologize if you are guilty. She should have stepped forward, but at least David did and took the lead. And I think that that led her in repentance. And they don't blame each other. You notice Psalm 51, against thee only have I sinned. You say, David, he sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba, but he's saying against God primarily. Now... The baby would be born, the secret would be out, and she would bear the public disgrace. All the women in Jerusalem would be whispering about her. There she goes. She she has some nerve going to the marketplace. You know, she ought to just stay where she lived, but that's how gossip is. Word gets out. And um, some sins carry their own punishment with them. Bathsheba also felt the broken heart when that baby that was born of the adultery uh, died. And I think that that really hit her and she repented sometime along the way and took her chastening and so should we. Whatever happened to Bathsheba after all this? 1 Chronicles 3, 5 says that uh, there were four more sons that were born to her from David because they got married. They were not illegitimate. And that's not counting the one that died in infancy. And which was of these sons the most well-known? Someone shout it out. Solomon. Solomon. Well, good old King Shlomo, his mother was Bathsheba. And um, the mother of Solomon, and you find interesting how she went to him and to talk, to give advice and things like that. First Kings 1 and 2, she tried to intercede between Solomon and Adonijah when he tried to make his move to get Solomon off the throne and Solomon politely said to Bathsheba something like, uh, no, I'm not going to listen to you on that. I am still the king and I am not going to give in to Adonijah. I don't care what you say. And I'm kind of exaggerating, but uh, she didn't have her, the son in the palm of her hand. He was no longer under authority. She was somewhat naive in this, but uh, she was, I guess you could say, street smart on love matters, but not so wise in other matters. So she was the queen mother Of Solomon but she kind of stayed in the back Um, now here's an interesting point that we might miss on all this her son Solomon wrote almost all of the book of Proverbs and in there David tells us to heed the wise counsel of our mothers that's chapter 1 verse 8 and chapter 6 verse 20 what kind of advice do you think she gave to Solomon Remember all those words Solomon spoke about, my son, look out for the the tempting woman, this kind of woman. I bet Bathsheba said, Solomon, you can learn from my mistake. Write it down. Warn young men about certain kinds of women. And he did. You can almost hear the echo of Bathsheba's voice in certain proverbs. For example, let me just list some of those where Solomon warned about the immoral woman. Chapter 2, 16 to 19. Chapter 5, verse 3 and 20. 6, 24 to 29. 22, 14. 23, 27 to 28. And almost all of chapter 7. I wonder when he was writing that if he was thinking somewhat shamefully about his own mother. You know, it's sad when you find out Someone like your mother or grandmother was very immoral. Sometimes I want to say to certain women that are flaunting their immorality, I'd say, how do you think your son or daughter are going to think of you one day when they grow up and hear these things? Aren't they going to be embarrassed? Some are. Uh, I've seen men get fighting mad when you say just something about their mother, even if it's true. Think about that. Could it be that Bathsheba spoke to Solomon and confessed the sin from her repentant experience? She learned the hard way, and David Solomon is passing on the lessons so that other people wouldn't have to learn the hard way. We need to heed her counsel and not do what she did. Instead, be like the women should be like the godly woman of Proverbs thirty-one, and again. When you see a bad example, look for the good example, and you be that good example. Okay, to conclude, the last mention of Bathsheba, would anybody know where it is? Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. In our Lord Jesus' genealogy, it says, David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. It's interesting. Just didn't say, well, David begot Solomon. And left it at that, or by Bathsheba is like he's making a point. And what's the point? There are several women in Jesus' genealogy that are not exactly classic examples of godliness. There is Tamar, who was immoral, Ruth, who was a Gentile convert, Rahab, you knew what she did before she threw in with the people of God. And so interesting, there are four women that you could say were stained or tainted, but Indication is they all repented and they are given the privilege of being in Christ's family tree. Bathsheba sinned greatly, but upon getting right with God, she had the honor of being the great, 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 great grandmother of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace. So no matter what a person has done, there's still hope for forgiveness, even with Bathsheba. Keep that in mind when you speak to someone who's beginning to feel the guilt of a sinful life, be it immorality or crime or just any other sin, and they may be wondering, I feel guilty, God can't forgive me. You say, well, God forgave Bathsheba, and God forgave her. And then you come to the New Testament. It says the common people heard Jesus gladly, and many of them were prostitutes and immoral and thieves and drunks. And God forgave her, and God can forgive us anything. So we can learn from her bad example, but don't forget her good example as well. We're going to meet Bathsheba in heaven. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you put this story in the Bible to warn us of sin, to encourage us to be very careful with temptation, and also to reassure us that no matter what, No matter what we've done or said or even thought, there is still forgiveness through Christ. Help us to be like David and Bathsheba in their repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.